Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I love human connection. I love people. I love the ability to create relationships and vulnerability and intimacy and to see the humanity in other people. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. Today's personal spot is about how important it is for us to take care of our bodies and our minds and our health when we're so driven and it's so hard because I definitely have destroyed myself over the last couple of weeks. I went from moving and being fit and eating clean and sleeping sufficiently to back to my old ways, which are sleeping three to four hours a night, grabbing whatever sugar or quick food that I can find and uh, not minding myself, sitting at a computer all day long, not even knowing there's an outside that exists. And it's just not good. I feel the dramatic difference between how I was living and how I'm currently living. And I want to switch back to how I was like, I cannot be as an effective leader as I'd like to be if I'm just destroying myself like this. I cannot serve well. I cannot show up well energetically. And so like I'm running on fumes and on adrenaline because everything is so exciting. But if I want to be the best I could be, I mean, it's so cliche, but it's really I need to take care of myself. So this is just almost like a personal spot to myself, like get your ish together, (laughs) like go for a walk. Um, I I know I'm going to make the moves to uh, to start to transform and that transformation will happen right now. It's happening right now. All right. Enjoy the next episode. Bye. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest. She's a complete champion of women. She is so supportive of me. I'm elated to welcome Elizabeth to the show. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And you're joining me from Los Angeles. We are here together in this crazy, wacky city. LA vibes, LA tech scene. Yes, I love it. Um, All for LA tech. Now, are you originally from LA or did you um, move here? I moved here, but I have now been in LA for uh, 
whew, almost 20 years. So I think I'm I'm going native. Um, but I yes, I grew up on the East Coast. And then my family moved out to the West Coast and I moved down to L.A. Nice. And why don't you go ahead and kick things off? Give us that formal intro of a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Hi, all. I'm Elizabeth. I am the founder of Amorous. Amorous is romance tech for relationships. We're all about the two-player game of romance. How do you have intimacy and pleasure and games and fun with the partner that you know? We are an iOS app available for anyone in the world to come and use. And what inspired your journey in technology? Like, when do you remember first being interested in tech? So I really came to tech from the idea of Amorous. I was a film producer. I've been a film producer for years and years uh, in Los Angeles and made movies and TV pilots and all kinds of things. And then in the pandemic, I was not sheltered with a partner and was using technology to for intimacy and for connection and went looking for tools to help do that didn't find them and said, you know what, I can make something that will do that will work here. And as soon as I had that thought, I said, Oh, wait, okay, I guess that means I'm going to become a tech entrepreneur. Let me go figure I've got the entrepreneur thing, but let me go figure out this tech piece. I mean, being an entrepreneur and a founder is so difficult. Being that both you and I, um, Elizabeth and I have had private conversations about the life of being a producer. I think being a producer makes you the perfect founder <laughs> because I, I was saying yesterday on a podcast episode that I think the definition of a founder is a problem solver. The definition of a producer is a problem solver. <laughs> so how much has, as I'm talking about this, your production ability come into now being a tech founder? Oh, it happens everywhere. I mean, as a producer, your job is to solve every problem. And to, you know, I like to say that you use preparing to make content, you pre-production, you make 150 plans for what will happen when goes when something goes wrong, only to ensure that in the moment something, you know, one number 175 goes wrong and you don't and then you have to scramble the plans that you made to figure out a new plan to solve whatever's happening. And so you just know how to say, okay, I don't know how to solve that, but how do I break it down? Who do I ask? Where do I go find a solution? And not being intimidated by something you don't know and just being willing to roll up your sleeves and go find a solution is, I think, the essence of entrepreneurship is you are never going to know the answer going in or almost never. The question is, can you quickly and fairly effectively find a solution and implement it and move on to the next thing that's already happening as well. I'm curious, has being in Los Angeles helped propel you as a tech founder? Why build here in LA? Do you think you'd have more advantages if you built somewhere else versus here or is here perfect? I think here is perfect. I have never thought about building anywhere else, I, especially because I'm in the relationships and intimacy space. I think, you know, Snapchat was founded here. There is a huge world of, you know, interpersonal connection and coaching and, in you know, relationships and therapists and all of that. There, There's just like a really, really strong community for that in Los Angeles. And I don't know that I'd find that somewhere else. So for for the content of what I do, it's amazing. 
And then in the last two years, I've had the opportunity to actually learn the tech side of Los Angeles. And there are so many extraordinary people, yourself included, who are supporters and builders and investors and operators. Like LA has this incredibly thriving ecosystem. So super excited to be part of it. I appreciate you so much for Elizabeth and I got to meet and I did in Los Angeles a coffee series through June in the summer, kind of like a pilot program to see if I was comfortable being around people again. And I'm so glad we did meet. I'm curious, what blocks are you experiencing? The reason why I ask this is I think being a founder is so hard, like just so hard. And the more we can be in community and not just in community, like an accelerator or something, but in community where we could ask for support and and ask for the questions we need and do it in a vulnerable way so that we could truly receive help is just invaluable. What blocks are you experiencing being a first-time founder in the tech space? And like, how can we as a community of women in tech around the world and, and people beyond women in tech listening to the show to support women help support you in your next steps of Amorous? I think a big part of it is, for me, one of the things that was interesting coming into tech was that I have a lot of background in a lot of the pieces of startups, in building a company, in fundraising, in marketing and distribution. I just have it in a different industry and with a different language. You know, the words that I use to describe a project as a film project are really different. And just sort of the cadence, the structure, the things that people want to know about and how they want to know about them. So a lot of it wasn't, there was let's just say there was as much work that I had to do to learn how to talk about what I was doing as there was in figuring out what it was that I was doing. Um, and so it was, you know, it is both, okay, this is the roadmap or this is, these are my strategies for next steps with my app. But then also, these are the words that I need to use to describe them so that the person on the other end, if whether that person is a fellow entrepreneur or a potential hire or a potential investor, so that they understand what I'm doing and it signals to them that I know what I'm doing. And I would say there's being open to like spending a little time digging a little deeper and asking the question with especially with a new founder is this a i'm not hearing what i expect to hear like if if i'm feeling like they don't know or this isn't right or this isn't far enough along or this isn't a good idea asking yourself the question is this because of the way they're telling me what they're telling me, or is it really fundamentally because of what they're telling me? If somebody else showed up and said these, said a different set of words about the same underlying fact pattern, would it, would this ring well for me? And then if that's the case saying, oh, hey, maybe even just taking the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, when we talk about that, like generally investors use that term and I love what you're doing there or that thing is really smart. You know, if you say the words um, go to market strategy when you talk about the thing that you're doing to get customers, then I will feel more confident about it. And the next person coming will feel more confident. If you, you know, if you take the things that you're doing and then you call them customer acquisition strategies then I, as an investor, like that checks a box for me. And 
that's not everything. You know, that's not all of the, it's not going to magically fix anyone's problems for, you know, first time founders have lots of things that aren't language, but language is a barrier and being open to, or like both helping the person acquire the jargon of this new world, but also helping, you know, giving them the, 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 the time and the thought process to interpret what they're doing, even if it's not in the jargon you expect. That's so interesting. I'd actually never thought about that before. And so essential. We could do a whole episode on founder jargon and, and startup jargon. It's interesting that that would, you know, command more respect in those investor meetings. If you're speaking the same language it makes a lot of sense. But specifically, what can we do to support you? So for me, I the thing that I always want is I want people to try my app. I want them yes. to download Amorous. Um, Amorous is a two-player game. So it is all about download it and invite your sexy person to connect with you. And then you can message and you can play games. And we have tools all in this hyper safe, private, encrypted environment so that and we promise we never read, we never share, we never sell your data, your messages are yours. Um, we do look at aggregate data so that I can say things like, you know, the last 30 days, the most popular fantasy swiped was camper van. But I don't know who swiped it. I just know that a bunch of people wanted, had a fantasy about a camper van. Um, but I love people to try the app. I love feedback about the app. I'm pretty accessible on Twitter and uh, we're at Amorous app on all socials. If you have an idea, if you have a thing you wish the app would do, if you're annoyed that it didn't do something, DM me, DM us, tell us about it um, and spread the word. You know, a romance app is the kind of thing that not everybody wants to tell all their friends about, but we love word of mouth. So if you're there and you're uncovering shared fantasies and you're having a good time, uh, show all your friends that you're a sexy, badass goddess and share with them that you're doing this crazy thing. And uh, that and, you know, if you want to tell them that you're supporting a female founder in the process, please. But that's that's the biggest thing. Like, what can we do to make it better and get it out in the world? And we'll, of course, link Amorous and the social Yay. in the show notes. But can you spell it for everyone too? just Yes. On the auditory front. Yeah. Thank you. It is A-M-O-R-U-S. So think like Amor and us put together. And you were talking about people using the app, of course, mm -hmm. and you've had a great traction already. Let's talk a little bit about your traction. Where are we at? You are not in ideation stage. You are in the thick of it. Yeah. So we are first version out on the app store. We are currently free to download. Um, Full disclosure, we will eventually become subscriptions. So download it now while it's free and you can get in grandfathered. Yeah, we have over 4,000 users, uh, 4,310, I think, as of this morning, uh, in August of 2022. Uh, we have 750 plus monthly active. And the coolest thing, more than 100,000 messages and games played on the app. It has been awesome. And that's in less than a year that we've been out in the world. Uh, and what's also really, really exciting to me is that we have more than 50% 30-day retention, which means basically people come in and they stick around, that they're actually using it. They're actually getting value out of it. You know, a lot of people will download an app and then just be like, ah, I'm not so sure. And then they leave. It's really, really exciting 
to see that people are using it. I, I'm not going to lie. Some I check my statistics every single morning as a good tech founder, and I will see a big spike, and I'll be like, oh my god, there were people in Pittsburgh and Dubai and the Netherlands, and I don't know, and I don't know them. I really don't know them. I've never met them, and they're spending all this time on my app, sending each other I don't know what sexy deliciousness, and it just makes me so happy. <laughs> That is so exciting. Imagine if there were 4,000 people in a room. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And and that you're the first-time tech founder. It's just, it's amazing. You went from the entertainment industry into technology. What is your role within Amorous? Like, what do you do? And then who does the building? Is that you or someone else? Yeah. So I am the CEO and the founder. I have a two co-founders who are a brother-sister team. Val is my CTO and lead engineer, and his sister Anna is our product designer. Uh, so Val really leads our dev. I would say I am the product manager, and I'm really the sort of lead on what we're introducing in features, but Val does is, is core on all of the actual coding in the building, and then we have a dev team that we can call up that's international. And you know, then I also, uh, I wear all of the other hats that you have to do as a founder. So I'm the primary on the fundraising and I wear a marketing hat a lot of the time and I wear publicity hats and I wear customer acquisition hats and I wear, you know, everything, everything else under the sun. And where did you meet your co-founders? Honestly, a very traditional, like online founders meetup. So when I first had the idea- Those for, work? <laughs> yeah, those actually can work. So um, when I first had the idea for Amorous, I had no idea what to do. I had one friend who was in something called FinTech that I didn't, you know, was something that I even said with air quotes around it. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew it was something startup techie. And so I reached out to him and I said, okay, I have this idea. What should I do first? He said, well, there's these thing called no code. You can try building whatever it is you're going to try and build in no code and just run an experiment and see if it like is a thing you want to build once you've tried. And so I said, sure. And I signed up for a boot camp for Bubble, which is one of the no code programs. And I started trying to build Amorous as a prototype in Bubble. And that was three or four months of just existentially hard work. I can only relate it to like to, to, to being a two-year-old and you look around the world and you're like, everybody is doing this walking thing. Literally everybody. I see them all doing it or maybe a one-year-old. I, I It doesn't look hard to them. They all do it without thinking. I, I know exactly what it is that my legs need to do and yet I cannot make this work and why can I not make this work and oh my God, I don't even know how to think about this to make it work. Uh, it was, you know, because even without no code is, may not have, you may not have to write in a specific coding language, but you have to think like an engineer. You have to understand data flows. And it was so hard. Uh, but while I was doing this, I was posting everywhere. I was, you know, taking meetings on Lunch Club and I was on Co-Founders Lab and Startup School and matching programs. And, you know, I'm trying to build an intimacy app. I'm looking for someone to help me. Please, you know, who should I get in touch with? And I probably took 
a dozen or 15, 20 meetings out of that with everything from, you know, other founders who had suggestions for me to people who, you know, someone who was in Indonesia and said, you know, how, we have an engineering house and we're going to have 30% of your equity and we'll build your app or, you know, a studio in LA that was like, uh, we can do that for a quarter of a million dollars, uh, all kinds of things. And one of the people that I met was this guy Val. And he reached out and he was like, I think Intimacy app would be cool. My sister and I build apps for people. We uh, would love to talk. And what I didn't tell him at the time was like, okay, you had me as siblings. Like, um, I work with my sister. I'm one of four kids. Like siblings are everything to me. And I was just like, if you can work with your sister, I'm already thinking so highly of you. And so we met and they seemed really cool. And we started talking about, and one of the things kind of in that the work is never wasted, my bubble prototype was terrible. It was the ugliest thing ever. But in the process of doing it, I got really clear on what I wanted the MVP of Amorous to look like. Like, what features did it have to have and what features were extraneous? And so then I could take that to Val and Anna and say, this is what I want to build and why. And we, I hired them initially to build the first version of the app. And that was such a successful process that as we finished it, I said, will you come on as co-founders? And they're still working on the app ever since. So cool. So yeah. cool. It was uh, it was a very lucky story, but it worked out really well. What is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome a- in your career and how did you overcome it? Mm, good question. Um, I'm curious both in your yeah. career and with with the app so far. It's kind of it's a separate question because in your career yeah. it could have been something a lot earlier, but I'm curious on yeah. both. Well, okay, so I will say like in my career I so I have a twisty turny career background. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Uh, my parents are both physicians. And then I decided I wasn't going to be a doctor, but I went and got a master's in public health. And so, and then I worked in healthcare and healthcare marketing for a while and healthcare kind of information tech a little bit, but not, I was not on the engineering side of that. And then my sister, who is a writer director, had this, we had made a short film together. She had this script and we had this project to make a dance movie. And she said, you know, we should make this dance movie. And I was trying to finance it. And it got to the point where it was really clear that I could either have a full-time career in healthcare or I could make a hip hop dance movie with my sister, but I could so not do random. both things. <laughs> um, it was very random. It was actually a very simple conversation. I, I, being much younger and a little bit more naive, I went to my boss and I said, okay, so I want to go make this dance movie. Can you just give me like three months off? And uh, and then I'll go make this dance like, movie and then I'll come Bye. back. <laughs> and, and he was like, um, are you pregnant? And I was like, no, why are you asking me that? And he was like, this is a company. We are, we don't give sabbaticals. Like you, you you can take like pregnancy is literally the only sort of long term leave we might offer. Like we don't do just three months off and come back. And I was like, oh, all right, then I quit. And I walked out and that was that. And I quit to go make this movie. And uh, <laughs> then it took 
so long to make this movie. And I would say that was the big challenge was we put some first financing together. We were going to make it that summer. The financing fell apart. It took me an entire year to put it back together again. I ended up calling. I had a call list of over 1200 people that all of whom I called multiple times and had conversations with in order to find a dozen investors who were the first angel investors in this movie. But we put together a half a million dollars and shot a movie which is called b-girl you can find it on some of the streaming services and you can for sure find the whole thing streaming on youtube and uh it's this really incredible hip-hop dance movie with some of the best break dancers in the world what starring I love in it. break dancing mm-hmm. yeah the uh i have to watch this you totally have to watch this i mean it's a first feature so there's you know uh it's got its stumbles but i will tell you there's a 12 minute dance sequence like pants off dance off that is the finale of that movie that is one of the best dance movie finales out there like it is extraordinary break dancing being done breaking being done by like the best b-boys and b-girls out there as far as the app i would say the biggest the biggest thing for us which is just an ongoing it's always a challenge, is the challenge of intimacy and sexuality. Is that, you know, we are about people being connected and having finding pleasure with their known partners. And we talk about getting delicious and we talk about fantasies and we want people we want people to engage with intimacy and romance, but th- our culture does not love that all the time. And so there's just an ongoing challenge of, you know, we can't advertise most places. We can't, you know, what we can and cannot do and how we have to code switch sometimes. You know, I can't use the word sexting, even though part of what you might do on this app could very easily be described as sexting. You are messaging with your partner about sexy stuff. But that's a word that no, but that, you know, every public space has real problems with. And so, the you know, you can't put it on your website and you can't put it. It's just a really, that's kind of the ongoing cultural challenge is we have this we I think we as a society are getting way more sex positive and way more open and we're more informed and aware and inclusive and expansive around gender identity, around relationship structure, around sexuality. But our systems have not necessarily caught up to that. And um, that's something that we are always, that's a line we are always navigating. I've mentioned it so many times on this particular episode, being a founder is not easy. And um, you've gotten to know me a lot through my work with We Are LA Tech. And it's very clear that I have a strong why that's beyond capitalism. What is your why in building Amherst? Why put in all those crazy hours and energy and and your whole thought capacity invested into this app? Uh, Why? Actually, I think my why is so much your why too. I love human connection. I love people. I love the ability to create relationships and vulnerability and intimacy and to see the humanity in other people. And I think there is nothing more empowering than pleasure. There is something so, when you express a desire to a partner and the partner wants that, and helps you achieve that. And you have pleasure as a result. 
it's remarkably it's like revolutionary it's and it's incredibly empowering because it says you deserve pleasure in the world you deserve space you like people honor you people hear you people want the things that you have to say and express and be in the world and that's just we all deserve that that and i want to help people find it like you know sometimes it is finding it in the most delicious moments that then you have the sort of insight oh well then i should be able to find this in all of the other moments too i am deserving of this as i walk through the world in every way shape and form but i'm especially deserving of this with the people that i love most but also i just love like i i love passion i love sexuality i love these spaces i love the humanity that is all of us so i want to share that with as many people as possible i love the humanity that is all of us i love that line mm-hmm. <laughs> what's next for you where where would you like amaris to go where would you like you to go in, in being a founder now um are you applying to accelerators are you trying to raise money like where where what's next I feel like I'm always applying for some accelerator or another and trying to, to find the people and the institutions that are going to support us on this journey. I'm definitely fundraising. You know, we are wrapping up a first friends and family raise and I'm about to embark in the next couple of months on kind of the proper venture fundraise process and finding partners who want to be with that and who are really excited about, you know, romance tech and that there is this whole other market after dating, only 30% of us are single, 70% of us are in relationships. And so there's this incredible opportunity there for people to connect with their people for all of their lives. And so, but as I said, the challenge of what we do is that it is intimacy and pleasure. And so finding the people who want to champion that, who are comfortable with that, that's certainly something I'm always doing. And then just getting on more people's phones. So far, we're only iPhone. Uh, part of the fundraise process is to enable us to go to platform and to be able to be Android as well. But right now we are iPhone only or iOS, I should say, iOS only. But yeah, I mean, listen, my my vision, I think we should be on more phones than dating apps. There are more people in relationships. We should be on more phones than dating apps. I want a world in which HBO has some sex comedy and they're making a joke and two people stare at a phone and someone goes, oh, my God, can you believe they sent that? Do we think we're on Amorous? And the camera never has to show what's on that phone. Everybody watching HBO gets that joke because everybody knows that you have Amorous on your phone. Like you should be a sexy person in the world. So, of course, you have the app for sexy things. And what you do on that is your own darn business but like you are a grown-up and you believe in pleasure and you have healthy relationships and you are a sexy goddess so of course you do that with amorous yeah that's that's my vision we're gonna be more ubiquitous than tinder (laughs) i love it i love it i love that the vision is so clear a couple quick fire questions but before those um you talked a little bit about how to connect with amorous how do how do we connect with you what's the best way so Twitter is my doom scrolling, I like to say. So I'm I I'm, love Twitter, man. Yeah. I am all up in the Twitter game. <laughs> I I have not yet been able to crack the beast of any of the other social medias into my sort of daily habits, but Twitter is definitely there. So I am Eli- at Elizabeth Dell on Twitter. You can definitely find me there and you can find at Amorous app. A-M-O-R-U-S-A-P-P. Uh, we're that on all of the socials. So that's where you can find me and connect with me easiest. Awesome. 
quick fire questions. Who is a must follow? It could be a, a podcaster. It could be a YouTube channel. It could be someone on Twitter. It could be a blogger. It could be an author. Who's a must follow for you? Anybody. Mm, okay. So uh, when it comes to sexuality, it, Dan Savage, uh, he is the OG always first. That His podcast has opened my eyes in so many ways over the years. And I just, I love everything about it. Uh, when it comes to Twitter founders that I admire, I would say Amanda Getz of House of Wise. Not only do I love her gummies, um, I mean, her sex gummies are amazing, but also just such a fan of how authentically she she lives in in her spaces and what she's building um, with it with House of Wise. And what is your fave tech tool? It could be an app other than Amros, of course. It could be an app, a website. What's your fave? I, this is probably very old school, but I just I really like Slack. Slack is really helpful and really useful to me. And I also will just the ability to message myself is actually a wonderful thing. <laughs> I, I slack myself a lot when I'm like at a conference really or at funny. a thing. And like if I don't so I don't have to like pull up my notes app and like which note did I put it in? I'll just like write a note to myself on Slack and then it's all there for me to like come find later. That's funny. Oh, that's yeah. really funny. And what's a piece of advice that you've gotten in your journey that has really helped accelerate you forward? Well, a piece of advice for me that's always been really helpful, and I I don't know who said it to me first, but the work is never wasted. This is something that sort of sticks with me in every career and everywhere I go. But, you know, in the world of film producing and in the world of entrepreneurship, you, you know, the nature of what you're doing is trial and error. So there will be lots and lots of trials that end in error, or there will be lots and lots of things that end in failure, but that work isn't wasted. Knowing what you know, because you tried that customer acquisition, or you tried going to that conference, or you tried like building your on that platform, and it didn't work. The fact that you know that is really valuable work, and that work will come back around again. I remember when I was first becoming an entrepreneur, I was a waitress and I called my mom and I was just like, oh, I just want to be a founder. I don't, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't, what am I doing here as a waitress with like all these plates of food and everything? And my mom said, don't you know, this is part of your journey. Like you are a founder, you are an entrepreneur, and this is part of you being an entrepreneur. And she couldn't have been more right. And uh, my mentor says that we're always leveling up. And what that means is like, for example, last night at our We Are LA Tech Experience, I saw plates or whatever. And my background, because I was a waitress, because I was a hostess, because I was a dishwasher, because I was a personal assistant, is hospitality. Do you know how much that, I mean, Elizabeth knows, but everybody listening, how much that hospitality skill set that I acquired over years doing these jobs where I felt like, oh, why am I not where I want to be yet? completely pays off in creating the company that I want to create. So, yeah. Absolutely. When I first moved down to Los Angeles and I had a job at this sort of healthcare tech and and sort of research uh, organization, the CEO hired me basically as his sort of researcher to do a couple of projects on the side that he needed. And so I would get, he would say things like, go figure this out. 
And I would be like, okay, how do I do that? And he would be like, I don't know, go figure it out. And I would be like, okay, how about I call a bunch of people and ask them how they do this thing that we need to learn how to do? And he was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And I was like, okay, but that means, you know, I remember one of them where I was like, so you want me to call the chief medical officers of the top 20 research medical hospitals in the country and just ask them for like 30 minutes of their time with a survey? And he was like, yeah. And so I did. And I learned that most of them actually, when I was, when I said, this is what the survey is about. And if you answer these questions, I'll share the results of the other 20 guys or the other also women who are, who are answering questions about this. And you'll get their intel if you share yours. They were actually super down because it was a topic that they were really interested in too. It was about tech transfer and how that works. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait, so they are going to talk to me? And I learned things in that job about how, like a confidence in cold calling and a willingness to reach out and that have been invaluable in my career. I cannot overstate how important it was to learn that it's not that scary to ask strangers things. I mean, it's scary, but to do it anyway. (laughs) But like, if you do it anyway, there's good. I mean, it's, it's the sort of, you know, it's the it's like traveling or something. Doing something uncomfortable is not going to be not uncomfortable, but there's awesome stuff on the other side of it. And if you learn that lesson well enough, then you're like, okay, this is worth doing. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's totally worth doing. Totally. And that was so essential to learn early. 100%. One of my, or I really resonate with that. One of my early mentors, Montserrat Fontes, she's this unbelievable author. And I was a high school journalist and um, she nicknamed me Press Kit. And she'd have me call movie studios and schedule interviews with the actors and executives. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm like a kid. Like, no one wants to just do it. And I'm like, ah, you know, and she forced me to do it. Um, and I did. And I, I think that experience for me and the experience you just shared, it's probably what led us to have be able to be producers. When I was first called a producer, I didn't know what that was. I I think I shared this story with you um, offline that I was at um, an action sports event and I had, it was when I had, you know, my, my first startup company, well, it's technically my second company. My first one was my starter business. (laughs) And um, I was there interviewing Tony Hawk and all these other pro athletes and had my camera crew that I found off, you know, Craigslist and all this stuff and trying to just make things happen. And someone goes, oh, are you a producer? And I said, what's that? (laughs) You know, and then, yeah, essentially just a resourceful person that gets shit done. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like me. (laughs) My sister, who is also my writer, director, partner, sometimes she has always threatened to make me business cards that just have my name on them. And then below it says I get shit done. Yep. Yep. That's the job of a producer. So and I think that's the job of every founder. Just figure it out. Get it done. If it gets messy, it gets messy. and then fix it and keep figuring it out and keep like weaving and bobbing and like just get it handled. Do it in a way where the outcome is cohesive for everyone involved. And so maybe it's uh, stressful for us, but like the end result for the collective is wonderful. And which whether that means being a successful app or successful company or successful team or just we are creating the end result to be just incredible but it, it, it is going to weigh heavier on the creator. 
It just that's just I at least that's my perception. That's you know. No, I think um, always. Yeah. You know, you're you're the one who has to do all the furious paddling under the water to make the the duck sail yeah. glide glide beautifully across the lake. So cool, so cool. Sinking with another producer. Any last thoughts before uh, as we wrap up? Any anything that you wanted to share that we haven't shared yet? Just that I'm so happy to be part of this community. It's LA Tech has been remarkably welcoming to me, which is really exciting. I coming, I have lived in LA for so long, but always in the bubble of entertainment. And so it's kind of a crazy thing to decide to switch careers after, you know, quite a lot of time building the other one. And it's been remarkable how many people are just excited to have you and share knowledge and share experience and share contacts and a great big elephant hugged. Thank you to all of LA Tech. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com takes you to the community. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Elizabeth Dell, founder of Amorous. We are the relationship intimacy app for couples. We are based in Los Angeles, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.